0: Hello and welcome once again to the will Preach for Food podcast. I'm Doug, pastor of Faith Lutheran Church, based out of Shelton, Washington, a congregation of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. Faith is a welcoming community, growing closer to and more like Jesus, making Christ known, joyfully serving each other, our neighbors, all God's creation. You can learn more about faith at our website, www.faithshelton.org. I want to thank you for listening. Today's podcast is for the first Sunday in Lent, March 6th, 2022, Volume 3, Episode 7 of the We'll Preach for Food podcast, and the title today is Snot Bubbles. Please open your Bible to Luke, Chapter 7, beginning at verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. that she's a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus simply said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I'm going to tell you a story, then I'll give you a little primer on the doctrine of sin, then we'll return to this story about this woman with the reputation, and I'll conclude with four takeaways. First, a story. I tell people that it was a promise keeper's rally in 1995 when the Holy Spirit taught me to love my homosexual neighbor. You see, in 1995, a group of men from Our Redeemer's Lutheran Church in Helena, Montana took a road trip to Seattle to attend a Promise Keepers Conference at the Kingdom, I was visiting my brother in Seattle at the time, and then I boarded a bus from his place to take me to the Kingdom. I realized that I wasn't sure when I needed to get off the bus, so I asked a gentleman sitting behind me. He told me he was getting off at the same stop and would point me in the right direction. Walking together toward the kingdom, he asked me about the event. I told him it was a gathering of 50,000 men for a big church service. And I'll never forget his response. Oh, he said, my ex is probably there. Then he told me about how he, both he and his partner, had gotten involved in the Holy Rollers a while back. But I couldn't keep up, was the last thing he said to me. Then he went his way and I went mine. And this is why I tell people that it was a promise keepers rally in 1995 when the Holy Spirit taught me to love my homosexual neighbor. Now a brief reading from the book of Romans, chapter 3. We know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sights by works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace." through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Bible tells us about sin. When we sin, we're falling short of the glory of God. It says it right here in Romans chapter 3. Sin, it's it's bad behavior, it's breaking the rules, disobeying the commandments. Sin is also understood as a force. It's a power that actively works to undo us, to turn us away from God. Sin is like an addiction so that our lives become ruled by sin. So we say in our confession, we're in bondage to sin, we're captive to sin, we say, and cannot free ourselves. The law of God, the Old Testament, tells us to love God and to love one another. And so whenever we oppose God or oppose our neighbor, we are sinning. When we violate God's creation or attack a foreign country or slander a person we don't like, we are sinning. In fact, it turns out that sinfulness is a universal human condition. There's no difference between Jew or Gentile, the Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short. We all miss the mark. We are all sinners. In 1 John, it says if we say we have no sin, we are simply deceiving ourselves. The cost, the natural consequences and trajectory of sin is death. Sin kills us. And the only cure, the only remedy for sin, the only way to pull out of that trajectory of sin is the faithfulness of Jesus, the Bible says. God God doesn't remedy sin by making it easier to hit the target. God remedies sin by hitting the mark for us. God is righteous, and God's righteousness is enough for all of us. And it's shown, demonstrated, brought to life in Christ Jesus. That's why when we confess our sin, God is faithful and just and forgives our sins and sets us free from sin's power over us. See, we need the law to be, to be the mirror that shows us our sin and the damage we're doing to ourselves and each other. We need the law. We need the mirror. But we also then need the gospel to show us the grace of God that's demonstrated for us and for our salvation in and through the love and faithfulness of Jesus Christ. So that's what the Bible says. It says that we sin and that we're forgiven, (laughs) that we try again and we fall short, and then God picks us up again. Our Lutheran tradition calls this this rhythm simul justus et peccator, that we're simultaneously justified and sinful, saint and sinner, condemned and set free. Which brings us back to today's reading. We have a Pharisee named Simon, a woman with a reputation, and a dinner party. By describing Simon as a Pharisee, the Bible is telling us that he's a devout Jew. The story shows us that he has means. He's respected by his community. He throws a dinner party, and he invites Jesus to join him, presumably as a guest of honor. Meanwhile, the woman in the story has a reputation. She's known as a sinner, someone who falls short, misses the mark, failed to keep up, Maybe she stopped trying. Now, how she became saddled with this reputation is unknown. Maybe she made some bad choices in her life. Maybe she didn't conform to the rules of being a submissive Jewish wife. Maybe she never had children and people assumed that somehow she was being punished. All we know is that we are told that she is a sinner. Now, I don't know how she pulls it off, but somehow she manages to insert herself into this dinner party. And there, at the feet of Jesus, she begins to weep. There is something about being in the presence of Jesus that can unleash a lifetime of trauma, of loss, of grief or gratitude. Oh, sweetheart. She begins to sob uncontrollably, which is sort of redundant to say because sobbing, crying your eyes out is never under control. In the presence of Jesus, she releases all those feelings that heretofore had been pent up and held back. Crying is not a pretty sight. Her body heaves. The tears begin to run, and so does the mascara. Snot bubbles start coming out of her nose. She moans and grunts and snuffs. And now she's made a spectacle of herself. Tears and snot and mascara mix with the dusty floor and splash onto the feet of Jesus. The woman clumsily attempts to dry his feet with her hair, which puts her face next to his feet her cheek touches his ankle her lips brush his foot like a kiss now she looks up and finds herself staring at the lower half of the son of God and everyone's staring at her her cheeks puffy and covered with mascara not half wiped on her nose and Jesus offers her a napkin gently wipes some of the snot off there and and he smiles and she sees a bit of a tear in his own eye And the woman takes a deep breath, snuffs again, wipes more mascara on her cheek with her hand. Gaining her composure, she picks up that vial of perfume that she had brought. She cracks it open, pours it gently on Jesus' feet, again using her hair to work it into his skin and keep it from spilling. And one more time, she kisses his feet. She kisses the feet of the one who loves her. This whole time, everybody's watching. There's this awkward silence. Then Jesus turns to Simon and gently insists that this woman is, is his guest and simply must stay for dinner. You don't mind one more mouth to feed, do you, Simon? The woman goes off to the powder room to freshen up, and Jesus turns back to Simon and sees him fuming furious at the woman for scandalizing his dinner party, furious at Jesus for going along with it. So Jesus gives Simon a little math problem. Once upon a time, he says, there were two people who owed the same person some money. One owed about $50,000, the other owed about $5,000, and neither one of them had a dime to their names. The creditor realizes that neither one of them is able to pay off the the debt, and so the creditor decides to write off both loans. He forgives both debts. Now, Simon, which person do you think will be happier about this? Which person, do you suppose, is likely to express love and appreciation toward the gracious creditor? Now, math is not Simon's strong suit, but fortunately, it's a multiple choice that only involves two choices. Um, He says, um, uh, the one to whom the most grace is shown? Good answer, Jesus says. And right then, the woman returns from the powder room and takes her place next to Jesus. Jesus keeps talking to Simon, but now he's looking at the woman, and he tells Simon to look at this woman. For the love of God, Simon, look at her. See her. She's right here. She is more than her reputation. She's not a threat to your way of life. She's not a problem. She's not one of those people. She is a human being who's made in the image and likeness of God. Look at her, Simon. She's not defined by her mistakes, her trauma, her sinfulness, her snot bubbles, or her ability to keep up. And while we're on the subject, Simon, neither are you. But if we are going to keep score, Simon, then, then let's measure things like how much love is in the heart. How much love is in her heart. How much love is in your heart. You know, Simon, you greeted me with a polite handshake, Jesus says, but this woman greeted me with kisses and tears and ointment and runny mascara and snot bubbles. She just gave us all a master course in what the love of God looks like. Then Jesus turns to the woman and tells her that her sins are forgiven. You might say Jesus assigns her a new reputation. In his eyes, uh, she's not the sinful woman, but rather the faithful woman, saved by grace woman, the filled with love and snot bubbles and Holy Spirit woman. The woman saved and set free to be. The woman who is free to go in peace. Though he does insist that she stay for dessert, and she most assuredly does. Let me leave you with four takeaways from this story. First, like the woman with a reputation, like the man on the bus, like a lot of people um, who just feel like they can't keep up. Jesus calls each and every one of us, I think, to be a people that doesn't keep score, that sees a person as a precious child of God, not as a reputation. God doesn't leave people behind, and neither should we. Second, I think about our worship life, my own prayer life. And like Simon the Pharisee, sometimes I wonder if maybe the church has fallen into the habit of of. Inviting Jesus to nice dinner parties where we offer him our best selves. And I wonder if that's the best we can do. I wonder if I do that in my own prayer life. And I look at this story and I wonder that to, be tr- to grow cl- truly closer to Jesus, maybe I need to be more vulnerable, less under control. Maybe Jesus doesn't want my best self. Maybe Jesus wants more tears and snot bubbles. Maybe I need to risk embarrassment and humiliation just to get to the feet of Jesus. Third, today's gospel shows us again that it doesn't matter what kind of reputation you have. It doesn't matter where you live, where you've been, what you've done, or what pronouns you prefer. The woman, the Pharisee, the fisherman, the tax collector, the preacher, the listener, every one of us falls short of the glory of God. But the gospel is that the faithfulness of God is more than enough to forgive the past and make all things new. And so in the name of Jesus, your sins are forgiven. The faithfulness of God has done it. The faithfulness of God has saved you. Go in peace. Fourth and finally then, my prayer, my hope for you would be this, that like the woman your heart would be filled with love and gratitude in the presence of the one who created you, who loves you and has a purpose for your life, and that you would find ways to express that love, that overwhelming, (laughs) life-changing love with a world in need. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you, Chaz, for your weekly help producing this podcast. Thank you, people of faith, for sharing your journey with me. Our website, www.faithshelton.org, has resources for for you to grow closer to and more like Jesus, ways for you to connect with the larger faith community. Hope you'll sign up uh, for our weekly emails, like us on Facebook, make a financial donation to faith, even subscribe to this We'll Preach for Food podcast. I hope it's been as much of a blessing listening to this as it was to write it and share it. I leave you with a blessing from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now may God, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and will accomplish the God of uh, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen.